Hey, if we haven't met, I'm Chuck. I'm one of the pastors along with Sean here. Sean is on a much-needed vacation with Aubrey and the kids, and so it's a privilege for me to be able to teach this morning. As I mentioned, we're going to look at John chapter 13. What we'll see this morning is Jesus is going to sacrificially love and serve people despite very difficult circumstances. And to set this up, chapters 5 through 12 are what Sean has taught us are the, the sign chapters where Jesus is showing himself as Messiah through miracles, through teaching. And as his ministry grows, the antagonism is going to grow as well, where the religious leaders uh, on several occasions pick up stones and, and are attempting to kill him. So the antagonism is, is at full froth. So the exterior challenges are, are one thing, but today you're going to see the interior challenges. And that would be in chapter 13. Uh, a friend of his, a close associate of his, is going to betray him to the enemy. And then another close associate of his is going to just completely misunderstand what's going on in the life of Jesus in a sense where he's going to start reprimanding Jesus or directing traffic in the life of Jesus. And Jesus has some hard words for Peter, which we'll see at the end of the chapter. And so I was thinking about this week as, you know, how do we tie this in as, as us today? What, how does this relate to us? Well, one way is I thought about it. Now imagine there's 12 disciples, two of them are basically just turning their backs on Jesus in this chapter this morning. So I, I said, well, let's re reduce it down. In your life, six people, one of them, six people who you really love and trust, who you drop your guard with, one of them is going to betray you. How would you feel? And as I thought about it, I came to the conclusion that that math is fuzzy. It's, it's not adequate or accurate for this situation because really it's going to be six out of six. And the reason I say that, or I should say 12 out of 12, and the reason I say that is a week after this in Luke chapter 10, the disciples are, are going to be complaining and arguing amongst each other about who would be the greatest after we see Jesus washing their feet this morning. And so not only do we see a seeming betrayal there, but it's really accentuated in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, where basically when we get to the, um, we get past the garden uh, of Gethsemane, we get to the trial and we get to the ultimate crucifixion, everybody bails on him. The scripture tell us every one of his 12 disciples, his close friends, his confidants, those with whom he did ministry for three years, turn their back on him. Much like Jesus will tell Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that's what everybody did. And so it wasn't one out of six or two out of 12. It was 12 out of 12. So how would you feel if everybody turned their back on you and one of them actually betrayed you to the point of of just telling the authorities about you. He's here, she's here, she's over here, right here. Okay, give me my money. But wait a minute, you were my best friend. Uh, you know what, I, I need the money. How would you feel? In this story, you'll see Jesus react in the two ways that I listed on the screen. He's going to serve and he's going to love. And in this message, it dawned on me that he's doing these as an example for his disciples, but guess what? He's doing them as an example for you and I. As he washes feet, he's going to encourage his disciples to do the same, to serve one another. And as he moves towards the cross, he says, I want you to love one another. If you love one another, then the world will know that you're my disciples. And so here as we move forward, these are the two lessons in the midst of the turmoil of one who is fully God, yet fully man, and experiences what we experience emotionally and physically. He is going to leave us with the instructions of what it looks like to serve one another and to love one another. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Jesus knows some stuff. <laughs> That's an understatement. Now, before the feast of Passover, 
when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he was on his way to the cross, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What a wonderful statement. He loved them to the end, even though we're going to see two of them are going to drop out immediately. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come from God and was going to God, does what? He opens a GoFundMe account. No, he doesn't do that. He goes to a football game with Taylor Swift. No, he doesn't do that. The king of all creation, the Lord who is the mighty, the almighty, what does he do? In verse four, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Culturally, what's taking place here? Well, the story goes in this culture that you would, you would bathe yourself, much like if you were going to someone's house uh, for festivities, a birthday party or maybe Christmas, you would clean yourself up. Now, the difference between them cleaning themselves up and, and, and ourselves is you would wear socks and, and shoes. Well, this is Southern California, so I have to say maybe. Um, but let's just say you wear socks and shoes. It's December and it's 45 degrees outside. You wear socks and you wear shoes. So what, when you get there, then you're, you're clean. You don't need to have your feet bathed. Now, on the other hand, obviously, and you know where I'm going with this, in this, in this uh, culture, there are no paved roads. Everybody wore sandals. And with the dirt getting to and from one place to another, it's, if you've been down at the beach or walked barefoot, you know quickly, your feet get dirt, dirty very quickly, don't they? And then after a while, they kind of get grimy. Or what was the word you used this morning, Greta? Grubby? Yeah, they get grubby. And uh, so you get, go in, and what happens is you go to... We'll go to Jesse and Chuck's house, for example. They are gracious hosts and hostesses. And you go in there, and they would have, in this culture, they would have a, a servant, or they, really, it's a slave. They would have a slave, and as soon as Greta and I come into the house, we would sit down, and the slave would clean our feet. It's the lowest job description you can have. And the slave has no rights to themselves. They're entirely at the beck and call of their master. I think we've all seen enough movies about the, the Roman Empire and the Caesars and Gladiator to know what's going on here, that there were slaves that had to do their master's bidding. So here, their rabbi, their teacher, the one who's raised somebody from the dead recently, the, the one that has fe fed thousands uh, with a mere, what, uh, 12 loaves and two fish, I can't remember the number, but uh, they watch all this happen, and now they see their rabbi starting to act like a slave. It just, it, to them, it doesn't compute. But we'll see, it sends a very, very profound example to us, which Jesus will understand. And so I can imagine in the group of 12, I bet this is a very, very awkward moment. And so out of the 12 disciples, who do you think is going to be the one to pipe up and break the silence? Peter, let's see what happens, yes. So verse six, he came to Simon Peter and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Are you kidding me? Are you taking on a job a slave would do? This doesn't make any sense. This is outside of my tight little box, which God does that sometimes, doesn't he? He takes us out of our rational, experiential thinking and he does things that are very uncommon and this is one of them. Jesus answered and said to him, while I'm doing, or what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And in essence, what Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter is that I am the king, I am the Messiah, but I am not this triumphant general type Messiah. I am going to be the suffering Messiah that's going to die on the cross. 
And I know that defies your logic and it defies your theology, but I'm telling you right now, you have to go along with the program. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if, you don't, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. Again, it's an act of faith. So Simon Peter goes from one extreme to the other. You'll never wash me. I can't believe you're doing this to, you know what? Give me the whole wax and wash now. Look at verse nine. <laughs> Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Okay, Peter, one extreme to the other. So Jesus, rather than, rather than get angry or upset or try to upbraid him or, or correct him here, in a way he does correct, but he corrects in love like he does with us. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. And now he transfers from that cultural example to a spiritual principle, but is completely clean. So he's talking about the fact that they, are, they belong to Jesus. And you are clean, and then he says, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. And obviously he is pointing to Judas, which we're on our way to see what happens. But here Jesus doesn't respond with this first um, micromanaging, this first, how dare you, this first, no, you're not doing it this way. You're, you're, it's just not working out, Jesus. This doesn't fit my box. And so, no, we gotta, I have another idea. You can't do this. And Jesus doesn't respond with bitterness. He doesn't respond with resentment. He doesn't respond with contempt. I can't believe you guys. You guys are such dunderheads. You're, you're not getting it. You know what? I'm not going to the cross for you. Forget about it. I'm not going to lay my life down for you. And I kind of be tongue in cheek, but this is how I would respond in some ways when, when people don't get it or you're trying to do something kind for them and they just misunderstand or start to misapply what the intention is. It's very easy to turn around and if you get hit, you hit back. But Jesus is demonstrating unconditional love here. He's got a greater purpose. His purpose is the salvation of all humanity. And so here... Uh, Peter's kind of getting in the way. He's a speed bump, but Jesus is going to gently try and, and walk him through it. Well, let's get to Judas now. Well, firstly, let's get to what Jesus, the object lesson of this washing of feet. So verse 12, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to him, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And that's discipleship there, isn't it? We know what to do. By being born again, the Spirit gives us the ability to know what is right and what is wrong. Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We know this, but it's one thing to know it, and then it's, an act, it's another thing to actually do it, to put it into practice. And this is what Jesus is asking his disciples to do, is to be servants with one another. To be servants. We'll see in a couple of verses, he's going to ask them to love one another. But firstly, it's to be servants. When we get to Philippians, we can turn there in just a second. But in Philippians, Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or vainglory, but in humility of mind, consider others more important than yourself. And on that, let's turn to, to Philippians chapter two. And you can see the nature of not only the example that Jesus is teaching, but the example that Jesus lived. Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. And I've got them on the screen for you. But what we're gonna see here is Paul is encouraging his readers, the church in Philippi, to live as Christians, to love others and to serve others. And then he's gonna say, well, you know what? You have an example. 
Yet Jesus Christ is your an example. He was a king, yet he became a slave, and then he became a king again. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness or humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We just heard that out of the mouth of Jesus, didn't we? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now Paul is going to describe a king who became a slave, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And so I think one key term, well, two things about this is firstly, he uses the word form or the phrase form of God, because in another verse, he's going to use the phrase form of a man. So form of God here did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, number two, because he was God. That's why he didn't consider it a slight. And what did he do in, 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 in the, the fact or in the reality that he was God? Well, as we see in John 13, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. So we have form of God in one, one verse, now form of a bondservant in the next. And bondservant is doulos, if you're familiar with the term in the New Testament. And it means someone, again, who, like we see in John 13 in the behavior of Jesus, this person has no rights. And they, they, ri they literally rise or fall. They literally live or die based on the whim and caprice of their owner. They, uh, that's a slave. And so Jesus is becoming a slave. He became a slave. We see Paul teaching us about it. And we see Jesus living it in John 13. So he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now he's restored to his rightful kingship, which he'll speak of today in John 13. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The king became a slave. He didn't completely disassociate himself from his kingship because we see the scriptures tell us he was restored to the right hand of the Father. But the king became a slave. I don't think you will ever hear of someone who has that kind of authority take that much of a pay cut ever in our culture. I don't even know if in history, and I, you, maybe you can correct me after, but I don't even know if there, other than Jesus, I don't even know if there's a history of anybody who would be willing to go from those heights to those depths in order to make a point. Power usually corrupts. It doesn't empower, it corrupts. And here you can see the king of all eternity becoming a slave before his creation in order to, to teach them many lessons, one of which is to serve one another, to consider others more important than yourself. Okay, well, let's keep going. We'll go back to John, and let's look at uh, verse 18, and we'll pick up with the story of Judas. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who, who, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Stop there is a couple of things. Firstly, prophecies being fulfilled. Did you see what Jesus said? That scripture may be fulfilled. And so he's intentional now about what, what he is choosing here. He's choosing a portion of a messianic psalm 
Psalm 46, that speaks about the Messiah who basically was, was betrayed by everybody. Now, the, culture, the cultural reference he uses here is, and I'll go back to it, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And in their culture, those that ate bread were usually close associates and close friends, family, uh, very close friends. And here, this individual, by betraying his host, lifted up his heel against him. That's just a cultural term where you would, we would say either you got walked on or you got walked out on, if you can use the, the, the vernacular here. So basically, it's, it's a complete betrayal. It's a complete betrayal to the, to the uttermost, which we can see in the life and the actions of Judas. And I also find it interesting that here he's talking about somebody's heel, and yet probably 10 minutes earlier, who's, what, is he, what body part is he washing of Judas? His heel. Yeah, and I don't know if the two were tied together, but just thinking that through this week, I thought, you know, how ironic isn't that? So uh, he quotes the psalm. Again, there's a purpose here because scripture would be fulfilled and that they would know that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 19, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Again, he's fulfilling scripture right here. He's fulfilling Psalm 41 to prove that he is the Messiah. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me and who receives me receives him who sent me. He's tying himself indelibly to the Father, which he's done since the beginning of John chapter five. Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. If you were here last week, Sean unpacked that word troubled a, li a little bit for us, and it was just, I mean, a grieving. It was the depths of, of pain and anguish and sorrow. Uh, it was just a really raw human emotion, and John chooses to use the word again in a successive chapter. Jesus was troubled in spirit. He, he knows. He knows where he's headed, and he knows what's, what's taking place in his inner circle, among other things. And so there's just a depth of trouble in his spirit. And he testified, and he said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Oh. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. And there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Most likely that was John speaking about himself in third person. And so here we are in another awkward moment where it's quiet. And who has to break the silence? Peter, yes. Peter therefore mentioned or motioned to, to John or to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Once again, two cultural things taking place here. To get the bread that was dipped in, in the wine or, or the, I don't know, the gravy, I, I don't know what the, what the, the diet would be. But to, to do this is, is, and to give this to someone is the, like the highest act of, of uh, honor. It would almost be like we have uh, 10 hamburgers and we have actually 11 hamburgers, if in this instance, and one cut of prime rib. Mm, prime rib, I can see it. Mm. Yeah. So there's 11 hamburgers and there's one prime rib. So in essence, he's giving Judas the prime rib. And the second thing here, because the text says he handed it to Judas, to Judas that means Judas was in near proximity to Jesus at the table. Once again, it's a sign that Judas was given a position of honor. Not only an honor in the meal, or, but an honor also in the position. So he's doing everything he can to, to try to, to, save, to, uh, to save Judas through, through grace. So where were we? Getting back to um, 27. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. 
But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. And so now they're starting to think in their natural minds. They're, they're coming up with scenarios. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things which we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. And I like that last phrase there, and it was night, because it's a common, I would call it a literary device in John, where he talks about Jesus as what? I am the light of the world. And in chapter 9 and chapter 11 and chapter 12, he encourages his readers to not walk in the darkness while the light is around, lest they stumble and fall. And so here, I think John is saying, you know what? We are right around the corner from the cross. And the devil's going to have his heyday for a while before he has triumphed over openly on the cross. But right now, we are moving into a very dark season in the life of Jesus. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man, and watch how many, how many times he mentions glorified. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. The word glorify or glorified there means to give someone esteem by putting them in a place of honor. And even though he's going to the cross, it's, in a sense, it's a place of honor for us because the power of death and the, and the power of sin will be broken on the cross. But then ultimately, like we saw in Philippians, Jesus going to, is going to be restored to his rightful kingship over all eternity. And so yet the cross is there, the darkness is there, but Jesus can see much past that. And therefore he's seeing the fact that he is going to be glorified. And then in verse 33, he says, little children. First time John mentions this tender, tender term to talk to his disciples like little children. Even though Judas just left the door to betray him, he's calling them little children. If you're familiar with the Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are rife with mentions of little children. John is very tender in writing there. This is the first time in the gospel. And I wonder if because of this tender moment and, and, and how difficult things are going to be for his disciples, he, he's kind of reminding them, you're my kids. You're going you're gonna to bail on me. You're going to deny me, but you're still my kids. So he says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I am going, the cross, you can't come. So now I say to you, and here's lesson number two, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, I don't think this is a new commandment, obviously. Deuteronomy 6 talks about loving your neighbor. Leviticus 19 talks about loving your neighbor. Even Jesus quoted this in uh, Luke chapter 10, that we should, we should love others as we love ourselves. So it's not a new commandment per se, but I think it's new in the fact of this phrase. I'll go back to the beginning of the verse. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. We can taste and touch and see. We can read about the life of Jesus. And so it's very tangible. And so in a sense, you could say, this is the new commandment. It, it, would, be, it would be identified in washing feet. It would be identified in loving one another unconditionally. And so, as I mentioned, it's not a new commandment, but it just has a new emphasis placed upon it by Jesus. So he says, a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So in the awkward silence, for the third time, who pipes up? Simon, verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, yo, where are you going? Jesus answered him and said, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but now you shall follow me afterward. And of course, Peter said, okay, I don't really understand that, but I'll sit down now and be quiet. Not so much. 
Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? And then he offers this wonderful braggadocious response. I will lay down my life for your sake. I have made fire. I have made fire. Look at me, fire. Have you ever seen Castaway? I me, fire. <laughs> so he's so, so full of himself, isn't he? Oh, man, boy, I tell you what, if you uh, don't humble yourself and if you think you're something, you turn into nothing really quickly, don't you? Here we go. Look at verse 30, 30, uh, 38. Jesus answered and said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, most assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster is not going to crow three times. The other gospels say that. The rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Oh, but even in that... God is going to restore Peter in his brokenness. And so for me, the, the takeaway this morning is just so lovely. It's that you see Jesus um, in the middle of all this pain and agony, personal pain and agony, and nothing's, we haven't even gotten to the cross yet. He, he loves and he serves. And then he turns around and he says, in a sense, with my spirit in you as Christians, you can do this. You can love and, and serve one another. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The and, and the idea of love, that we would just simply love one another. As God loves us, we become that conduit to love one another. And so if there's something that's getting in the way of serving others and there's, or there's something getting in the way of loving others, Jesus has the answer. And, and he loves to go to bat for you. He loves to direct traffic for you. He loves to remove the hurts, the wounds, the pains, the experiences, the irrational thinking. He's good at that. He will renew the spirit of our mind. Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. As you drop your guard and, and, and drop your self-will, he'll renew the spirit of your mind. And then you can put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then the last thing, we serve such a wonderful savior, don't we? so tender, so transparent, so open, so identifiable with us, and so willing to sacrifice for us. Who would do that? Who would leave their kingship and all the perks that come with being a king and become a slave? Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful that uh, you endured the cross, despising the shame, and have sat down at the right hand of God. Thank you that you have given us the ability as your kids to have the mind of Christ, to love others sacrificially, to serve others sacrificially. And thank you that it all starts with our profession of faith. I remember when I recognized in reading your word that I was a sinner and that my sin separated me from a holy God. And there was nothing I could do in my own strength to, to pay that bill. And I'm so thankful that you, after revealing to me that I was a sinner, you revealed to me that you died on the cross and rose again to pay for my sin. You freely, willingly suffered the most humiliating, slave-like death on the cross in order to set me free. And we thank you, Lord, that that message of the gospel is open to all creation, to all peoples. And we are just so very grateful that you rescued us and you've given us the ability now to live as Christians. May we continue to do that in word and certainly in deed, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.